0: hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of murphy's league today's episode's probably gonna be my last episode before draft day so i've got a little more draft content to cover for you guys i'm gonna be talking about some guys that might sneak into the first round some day two sleepers and day three sleepers that you guys should definitely know their names before you go into draft season Obviously, a lot of these guys I've already talked about in my cornerback and wide receiver rankings, so I'm going to try and bring up some new names. I'm really going to focus on offensive and defensive lines in this episode. I'm also going to talk about a little about some guys that I think could easily sneak into the first round. So they do correlate. There is some overlap there. I'm also going to be talking about Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets because that story just broke it is official he is in new york jet the trade compensation just came in so i'm going to be reacting to that with you guys that happened mere hours ago so my reaction is very fresh um, i'm also going to talk about some hypothetical trade scenarios i think lamar to the colts is a really interesting scenario that has been talked about a little bit but the talks have kind of died off Um, lamar could definitely still be on the move from the ravens i also think trey lance to the texans is a really interesting scenario so i'm going to talk a little bit about that in this episode and i'm probably going to close out this episode or maybe i'll talk about it second to last Uh, i'm going to talk about the clippers because the clippers seem to have a curse they've had it for as long as i can remember watching basketball And we got to talk about this playoff collapse because it looks like they're going to lose in five to the Suns. And despite Russell Westbrook's best effort to really, really establish himself and really showing that he's still worth a damn in the NBA. um, Kawhi Leonard dealing with that knee injury. Paul George dealing with his own injuries of his own. So uh, there's a lot of chaos going on in the Clippers right now. And it looks like they're in this for the long haul and they might be dealing with this in the future because both these guys were just recently extended. But... I'll get all into all that at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for it all, hope you enjoy it, and let's get right into it. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. So right off the bat, let's get into the Aaron Rodgers trade. So according to Adam Schefter, the deal will see Rodgers the number 15 pick in the 2023 draft um, head over to the New York Jets. So essentially it's a pick swap this year. The Jets are dropping down two spots to 15. The Packers are moving up two spots to 13. And as well as that, they're also getting a second round pick, the number 42 overall pick. So remember the Jets have back-to-back picks in the second round due to the Elijah Moore trade. So they're giving up one of those picks. I think it's their own pick. I think they're keeping the Browns pick there. Um, which is just one pick behind, so it's really not that big of a deal. And then a six-round pick this year as well, but also a conditional twenty twenty-four second second-rounder that can turn into a first if Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps. So assuming he's healthy, you know, at least one game over half the season, so assuming he's healthy for nine games out of the season, that's going to be another first-round pick. So essentially, they gave up a first, a second, a pick swap this year, and a six-round pick for Aaron Rodgers, who... Who knows how many more years he's going to play in the league i think he's under contract for two more years if i'm not mistaken so you know in order for the jets to get the most out of this deal they're definitely hoping that he's going to end up staying there for two years and not just the one but this is their window they have to win now if they want this trade to be all worth it and the afc east just became that much more competitive i mean we're going to see absolute juggernauts going at it it's going to be really interesting to see if the jets can break their curse against the patriots i believe they lost 14 straight or i don't know the exact number i want to say it's something around there of seven seasons straight of being swept by the patriots i think aaron Rodgers. i mean obviously we know what he can bring we know he was not that long ago removed from back-to-back mvp awards so we we know what he can do in a successful offense there's a lot of problems in green bay that were entirely his fault Um, last year that is and this is an offense that he's already very familiar with he's going from Matt LaFleur to Mike LaFleur his brother so the scheme is virtually the exact same Robert Sala you know ran a very similar scheme in san francisco as well so there's just a lot of crossover as far as i'm sure the terminology is going to be very similar as well as just obviously the plays and the playbook but that should be a pretty seamless transition and even at that he's a veteran he's been doing it a really long time i'm sure he's you know we all know he's a smart guy i'm sure he can adjust and then as far as the weapons go i mean again it's it's a win now mode the jets are young they're hungry they showed that they were you know much better than i think a lot of us anticipated last year and a lot of that was due to that elite defense but their offense had some really big impact players including offensive rookie of the year garrett wilson last year and then Brees hall before he went down with a torn acl he was tearing it up looking like one of the best rookie running backs um and you know he was a very highly tout draft pick as well so i mean there's a lot to like with the jets here they need to address tackle in this draft but this is a really deep tackle draft and they kept their number 15 overall pick, so they can definitely address it there, whether it will be a Broderick Jones. If Paris Johnson Jr. is there, I think that's going to be the pick. I don't know if he's going to be there. I think more than likely, it's going to end up being Broderick Jones, Darnell Wright, or Antoine Harrison, someone in that level. I think Broderick Jones would probably be the best fit immediately, just from an athletic standpoint. And... I know it doesn't really fit the win now mold because Project Jones doesn't really feel like a guy that's gonna come in and be ready immediately. But I think at that pick at 15, I don't know how many tackles you're feeling absolutely confident in starting day one anyways. And I think Project Jones has a pretty damn high ceiling. Uh, there's a lot of tools there, a lot of athleticism that can really you know, be, he can be used in space and fit an outside zone scheme like they run there. Um, so as far as that goes, I mean, once they address that problem, there really isn't a whole lot of holes in this offense and in this team as a whole i mean they're loaded at all fronts again watching them and the bills go at it last year was competitive enough now with aaron Rodgers in the mix it's going to be so fun to watch i cannot wait to watch bills versus jets games dolphins versus jets games as long as two was on the field and healthy there that's going to be an explosive matchup as well and again this the afc east is so competitive now i still think the patriots are going to be a good team but i think you know on paper, the least talented team, at least right now, um, assuming nothing changes before the season, nothing big, that is. And, I mean, that's just saying something because they have the greatest coach of all time and an amazing defense. So, AFC East is really, really going to be super fun to watch this year. I'm so glad Aaron Rodgers is finally out of the NFC North. Going to be really interesting to see what they end up doing with that pick. Um, <clears throat> now that they're a little bit higher up to 13, I still think that targeting receiver would not be a bad idea but there's a lot of different directions this team could go with that pick and i think helping out jordan love in any way you can and just building around him and you know giving him the opportunity to prove that he's your guy going forward is going to be the best steps for the green bay packers going forward so i really do think drafting someone like jackson smith and jigba would really be a great you know opportunity for jordan love and just give him the most that you can in that window But, I mean, again, they could totally go edge defender there. I think it's a little pricey for linebacker. I don't really see anyone you'd take in that range. They could totally trade back and just collect more capital and more you know, lottery tickets, if you will. But, I mean, this is a really good move for the Packers as well because he was walking no matter what to be able to get what you got from him. That's a really good haul from the Packers' point of view. I'm honestly annoyed how much they got for him. I did not think it was going to be – a first a second and a sixth round pick i thought it'd probably be two seconds but and and i mean technically it is two seconds right now but that conditional pick i really do think unless something you know happens unless an injury occurs which you know you never really wish that on a person obviously um but unless that does happen it's more than likely gonna end up being a first round pick so credit to the Packers for getting the absolute most that they could have out of this and from the Jets' point of view, if they get a championship out of it, it's totally all worth it. But again, you got to win now. And I really do think, even if, say you don't win the Super Bowl this first year with Aaron Rodgers, I think if you just make a good enough playoff run and you show him enough hope, you can convince him to come back that next year. And I still think this trade is worth it from the Jets' point of view. Again, we know how loaded this roster is. I love a lot of their young talent on their squad. And we know how desperate they were for quarterback. We know Zach Wilson was not the guy to take them there. And yeah, this was a, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, obviously Hall of Fame quarterback, amazing career so far. And, you know, following in Brett Favre's footsteps, 15 years after being the Packers starter, 39 year, years old, goes to the, the Jets. It's only a matter of time before he ends up on the Vikings. Am I right? But seriously, I, I mean, credit to both sides. I don't think the Jets necessarily overpaid because, you know, this has given you an opportunity to be in that championship window. And the packers got the most they could have out of a 39 year old quarterback so credit to both sides um unfortunate the packers got that much draft capital coming from a bears fan but hey the jets are in win now mode hopefully they can pull it off and i'm really excited to see what happens out of it now before we get into the clippers curse because i want to talk about that one um and i also want to talk about russell westbrook a little bit alluded to that in the intro he deserves his flowers he's been balling out this postseason for the clippers but let's talk about some, some interesting draft day trade scenarios that could totally happen. And I don't think enough people are talking about I mean, I think there's more players than just these two um, that could be drafted on draft day. I think players in contention are someone like Derek Henry's name has been floated around, Dalvin Cook's name has been floated around, that mix. But I think two guys that would really add the most intrigue to this year's draft. Let's start with Trey Lance. I talked about it a little bit in my intro, but I think Trey Lance to the Texans is something that's not being talked enough about enough about right now about enough (laughs) almost phrased that weirdly but Trey Lance I mean D'Amico Ryans just came from the 49ers if anyone knows what type of trajectory Trey Lance is on and how ready he is in the NFL Trey Lance has been on in you know headlines for being on the trading block as of recently it sounds like the 49ers want to go forward with Brock Purdy and I think financial slightly has to do with it you know when you take a quarterback third overall I think he's entering his. Fourth, or he's entering his third year in the league. So that was the same year as Justin Fields. His, you know, his price tag's not getting any cheaper. It's only going to get more expensive by the year. Obviously, quarterback a very highly, you know, paid position. And even though you know rookies on rookie contracts are relatively much cheaper than guys who are extended, when you're a quarterback, positional value you make. Pretty damn good money when you're the third overall pick. So I think that has something to do with it. This Niners roster is extremely expensive. They're ve- they're very much going all in in the right now. I mean they're paying guys like Debo, George Kittle, Trent Williams, uh, even Javon Hargrave. They just spent a huge bag on him, a 30 year old, to you know contribute right now and win right now. They've got a lot of money being spent right now, and Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant. He was a seventh-round pick. That is a very, very cheap hit against the cap. Even if he is a quarterback, when you're a seventh-round pick, that's significantly cheaper than the third overall pick. So it totally makes sense that his name has been on, you know, in trade rumors. And, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot from him, but if anyone knows what type of pace he's on, it's gonna be D'Amico Ryans. So he was in the building with him for two or three years there, I believe. I don't know how long, exactly how long D'Amico was the defensive coordinator there, but he's been around Trey and the question really does become how much are the niners going to ask for him i don't think the texans would be willing to give up their second overall pick but let's say the night of the draft you know the texans decide they take tyree wilson and then by the time their 12th pick comes around they trade that and they package a second rounder next year or the 33rd overall pick this year so that way the niners get the 12th and the 33rd and they go get Trey Lance, and that way the Niners have some premium picks that they can either, you know, do whatever they want with. Take take a player at, um, you know, because the Niners are a team that, they don't have a lot of holes in their roster, but they can totally add a luxury pick player there at that spot, whether it is someone like Bijan John Robinson to add. I mean, they have Christian McCaffrey, so that's, that's a terrible take. But I just mean one of these players that maybe you don't necessarily need, but it's going to bring your team up over the edge. Like, let's say Nolan Smith is there. I mean... I feel like that defense would find a creative way to use a guy like that. Let's say Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, obviously maybe not exactly their style of receiver, but again, just one more weapon to add into this system. One more guy to give Brock Purdy and just one of those lottery ticket picks where maybe you swing on a really high upside guy that his floor is not as safe as some of these other guys, but if you hit it, you've got an all pro for many years to come. Um, I just think it's a fun scenario to think of. I don't know if it's necessarily going to happen, but I definitely think it's fun to think of. And I think it's the most realistic out of all the trade scenarios that Trey Lance could go through. I mean, again, it really does do- come down to D'Amico Rines and the, con- the personal connection he has with Trey Lance and how he's seen him develop. And I mean, there's other, you know, coaches that have seen him, Mike McDaniel being one, but they don't necess- necessarily need quarterback and as this is a really, really good quarterback class. So I think a lot of the teams that, you know, are the most needy at quarterback are just going to end up taking one. Um, But I mean, I could see the Texans taking a totally unconventional way of thinking about this for the longest time. I always thought they were going to take a quarterback at two and then probably receiver at 12. The longer I go on with this process and just thinking of D'Amico Ryan's and what, how he wants to build a team. I really do think that's at least that second pick is going to be a defensive player. Um, If he, doesn't take it with the second overall pick and end up passing on quarterback entirely i think if we do see them pass on a quarterback at two and take someone like a jalen carter or a tyree wilson or a will anderson whoever end up may end up being i think there's a very real chance that trey lance ends up on the houston texans and that 12th overall pick is packaged to san francisco If we do see them taking CJ Stroud, obviously they're not going to, or Bryce Young, whoever might be there. Obviously they're not going to make that move and pull the trigger on Trey Lance. And then they're probably going to end up taking the defensive player at 12, whether it be a Van Ness or a Nolan Smith or one of these defensive backs. Um, I don't see that one as much, but again, I think that either way, one of those picks is going to be an edge player, in my opinion, a defensive interior player. I think a staple along that defensive line, because Simply, I think that's their identity. I think that's what D'Amico Ryans wants to do. And I think it just makes the most sense. Let's talk about Lamar to the Colts really quick though, because I think this is another scenario that could be really, really fun. We've been talking about Anthony Richardson going to the Colts for a lot of the similar reasons. I think Ant, or sorry, I think Lamar Jackson could totally work in Indianapolis for all those reasons. Um just the fact that you've got Jonathan Taylor there and the offensive line, although is Pretty crap last year it's actually not that far off from being as good as it was just a few years ago um, i think you just need to add one more really good interior guy if you get someone like steve avila or a siren's torrance at the beginning of the second round i think that's an immediate upgrade that could really help you especially in how they run the ball there and then that rpo game with lamar jackson and jonathan taylor if he's healthy all year good fucking luck stopping that that just sounds like a nightmare they don't have the most weapons on the perimeter but it's not like lamar ever had elite weapons in baltimore anyways yeah he had mark andrews and hollywood brown was doing his thing for a little bit there but never really elite weapons uh michael Pittman jr is i think good enough and i like their coaching staff there um again i'm a little disappointed that frank reich isn't there anymore i really did like him uh we'll have to see what is it jonathan gannon now there Now, he's in Arizona. It's Shane Steichen, right? The offensive coordinator from the Eagles. I believe that's who's there now. Um, So dipping back into the Eagles pot. But, I mean, even that has enough similarities between Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson's game that I think there's, like, some crossover there, and you could definitely make an argument to convince themselves into that. Now, this is the part that's really important to me, and I think that is not being talked enough because... I don't think the Colts want to trade that pick at 4 because if they do end up going for someone like Lamar Jackson and signing him, you're going to have to give up two sec- for or sorry, two first rounders to the Baltimore Ravens as part of his uh what is it? It's part of a clause in his franchise tag where the team that ends up, you know, signing him needs to give the Ravens two second round picks or two first round picks. I keep saying two second round picks. Um so I think an interesting scenario to think of is if the Colts shock the world and they don't take a quarterback at four and they end up taking whoever it might be one of these edge defenders or a defensive back or any other position that they they choose to go with um and then after that pick is made they make a trade for lamar jackson trading their two first round picks not in this year's draft but in 2024 and 2025 i think that's a really interesting scenario because i think that could be something the colts would really be interested in because i think they could convince themselves Look, if we get one more stud along this defensive line, whether it be a Tyree Wilson or, you know, whoever, Jalen Carter, to put next to DeForest Buckner and just have this crazy powerful interior duo, if they add one of those guys and they add Lamar Jackson in the same year, I think they could seriously convince themselves, like, hey, we could win the AFC South right now. This is not a very good division. Obviously, the Jacksonville Jaguars are kind of, are on the ups right now, but I mean... The Titans look to be going nowhere, they're a total mess, and who knows what the Texans are doing right now. Obviously, we hope they're going in the right direction with D'Amico Ryans, and I like a lot of their pieces in their secondary. Um, They've got some good things there. Obviously, second overall pick gives you an opportunity to hopefully snag a franchise quarterback, but it doesn't look like they're going to be winning anytime soon. I think the Colts, with Lamar Jackson and with a premium defensive player at four, Could convince themselves that they're winning pretty early and then those picks they're giving up those two first rounders might be pretty late picks if they're going to be playoff teams you know they're going to be in the 20s so i think they're comfortable with making that type of investment and i just think it's something fun to think about again i don't know how high the odds are of something like this happening but i just think it's really fun to think about and definitely a fun draft scenario um that adds a lot of wrinkles into you know scenarios we just haven't thought of and it's definitely worth mentioning because you never know what's going to happen draft day is always crazy there's always shit that goes on that's unexpected there's always players that fall there's often players that are traded on draft day and there's players that are taken way earlier than you think so i cannot wait for thursday i've been talking about it for fucking ever it seems like and yeah there's only so many bullshit scenarios you can make up in your head until the real thing happens so let's talk about the clippers curse really quick i don't have too much to cover here i really don't have any notes on it but just Off the rip, off the top of my head, first things first, you got to feel bad for Clippers fans. All three of them that are out there that aren't supporting the Lakers and instead choosing to support the Clippers, which, by the way, I totally respect that. Taking the underdog, I'm all about that. I actually personally really like the Clippers because I've always loved Kawhi Leonard. I've always really liked Paul George. I like two-way players. I love players that you know can take over a game with their offense but also can put the clamps on you on defense um Kawhi was playing outstanding in this series against the suns when he was on the court obviously paul george got injured right before the series started in typical clippers fashion you know they have one of their superstars either go down mid-series or right before it starts it happens again it seems to happen every each and every single year i mean this isn't just some experiment or some error now this is like Kawhi signed in 2019. Paul George, I believe, signed in the same offseason in 2019. This era of PG-13 and Kawhi Leonard has been going on for four years now, and the best we've gotten out of it was a Western Conference Finals that Kawhi Leonard was not able to play in because he tore his ACL. And at a certain point, you just kind of have to accept this is the player he is, and this is what's going to happen, and you just kind of can't expect any different because... I mean, if you expect any different, as a fan, you're going to drive yourself nuts. This has been a consistent theme, and genuinely speaking, I think this was the best shot they had at a title out of any of the teams they've had in in the past. I think this is the deepest roster they've had, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George both being there. Um, You can argue that series against the Suns, where the Suns made it to the finals and ended up losing to the Bucks, that the Clippers had a really good shot that year but again Kawhi Leonard you know went down mid-series and you kind of knew it was over at that point um you know the Clippers kept it pretty competitive I was I was impressed for the most part but overall I mean fast forwarding to this series against the Suns it's just what else can you say except like this is who he is it's just he's got a bad knee it's (laughs) He's dealing with soreness when he's on the court. He's phenomenal, obviously. We all know that we've seen it each and every single time he plays. He's borderline robotic in the way that he's just a machine. He just he's the definition of consistency. You know what he's going to bring on the court, but it's the, the health that's he's the definition of consistency when he's on the floor. When he's, I mean. Other than that, he's the opposite of consistent. He's never on the fucking floor. You never know when he's going to be playing. You never know when he's going to deal with his knee issue. And I don't know if there's frustrations going in the locker room, but I'd imagine there'd have to be, especially in the front office. And I know that the owner is doesn't care how much it takes, and he's going to put the, the cape on, as Bill Simmons so elegantly put it, in his take about this. But, I mean, it's just not working. And it's got to be just – so taxing on some of these players and Kawhi Leonard gets the special treatment, you know, he was in load management practically all season long. Again, when he was on the court, he's fantastic, but there was he missed so many games purely because, you know, they wanted him healthy for the playoffs, and the playoffs come around and his knees bad again. And Paul George, again, I, I have to mention it, he gets hurt before the playoffs start. It's like these guys never consistently play on the court together and it's just so disappointing to watch because they're so talented and it's so obvious, but this is just, like, one of the worst modern-day sports curses. Now that the Cubs won that World Series in whatever year that was, 2016 or whatever that was, it's, like, legit the only places you can look to, even the Browns won a playoff games recently, the only teams you can really look to in American sports that's, like, okay, the curse is still totally going on, is the Lions, which looks like they're about to crack that shit, and the Clippers. I mean at least when you're looking at basketball and football. And of course, those are my two main sports I pay attention to. If I'm forgetting something, let me know. But like, because the Clippers, it's almost worse than the Lions case because the Lions haven't even been in competition. Like they haven't even made the dance. They haven't even made the playoffs. So it's like, there's nothing to really be disappointed about. The Clippers year in and year out, make the playoffs and get this hype around them. There's a dog barking outside my apartment. Sorry if you hear that. Um, I'm just gonna keep going though that totally threw me off but the Clippers are one of these teams that year in and year out they seem to be competitive they seem to make the playoffs they seem to have these expectations about them and then something always fucking goes wrong it's been going on since the Lob City days the 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 lead choked against the Tex or the Texans the lead choked against Houston all those years ago when I think that was Chris Paul's last year there I mean this has just happened year in and year out for so many years and at some point it's like what are we doing wrong where are we going with this we need to get younger it makes the shea trade just look worse and worse and all the stuff they gave up for paul george because i mean paul george and kawhi leonard are not getting any younger and they've been dealing with injuries for four straight years it's that's just the matter of the fact they're old dudes that cannot stay on the court and those types of problems tend to not get better with age that you're not going to heal faster as you age older it's just a really 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 bad scenario, and these dudes are under contract for many more years. Kawhi Leonard just got extended last year, so if you're a Clippers fan, you gotta be feeling super fucking frustrated. I don't know. I mean, if any of you guys are listening to this, what do you do? Do you, do you think you blow it up? Because you might have to fucking blow this shit up. I mean, it's been four years. Like I said, this has been since 2019. It hasn't worked out. This is the definition of insanity. If you're expecting to go into a new season with the exact same squad and you're expecting to get over the hump this time, it's like. At the end of the day, like, health is the most important trait of any player in any sport. Availability is literally the best ability. And these guys are not available when you need them most. So it's just, how much can you get for them in a trade? Because, like, is a true contender going to want to, you know, give up future assets to get someone like Kawhi Leonard or Paul George to bring them over the top? I mean, probably not. Is, is, Is a team like the Nets, you know? something like we think about what toronto did they were kissing the hell out of Kawhi's ass to try and get him to stay there in perspective it might have been a better thing that he didn't because it would have just been a similar situation to what's going on in la right now where it's just years of built-up excitement t- to downfall and disappointment and again if you're a team like brooklyn if you're a team like i don't fucking know the pistons or, or one of these teams like the pacers where you feel like you're young You're developing right now, but if you get a couple good pieces, you have a lot to trade. You have a lot of pieces to give up to get, you know, veterans or established guys to take you over the top. How much are you really willing to give up for someone like Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, who not only is getting paid like superstars, but can't stay on the court? I mean, I don't know how much I'm giving up for a guy like that. So I don't know. This is a really, really dark situation for the Clippers. It feels like it's just it's crazy how quickly narratives change for the teams in LA because the Lakers felt like they were totally out of the mix like they were maybe not even going to make the playing game uh Russell Westbrook just terrible fit we all know how bad he was playing how inefficient he was how many turnovers he had and then the Clippers, on the other chance, on the other hand, sorry, were they had all these load management issues in the regular season, and maybe they didn't finish as high as a seed as some of their fans wanted them to, but all their guys were back, and. Paul George was playing with, you know, less than 15 games less in the season and Kawhi Leonard was supposed to come back in the playoffs and all these guys are supposed to be on the court at once and shit, this might be the year. And then the trade deadline goes through and Russell Wilson comes through and okay, pretty low risk. You know, he got bought out. So there's not, not really a high contract, you know, um, you're not paying him a lot and he looks like he's playing pretty well during the regular season. And then it all just goes south. Paul George fucks up his knee right before the playoffs starts. Uh, Russell Westbrook, um, almost always call him Wilson. Russell Westbrook playing phenomenal in the playoffs, shooting way better. I mean, high, high, high effort plays on the offensive glass. Amazing defense against Kevin Durant. Had a couple huge blocks. That competitive spirit, that fire of Russell Wilson from like 2017, 2016 is back. And Kawhi Leonard, you know, busts his knee and we're back to square one. And now the Lakers are looking like they're going to beat Memphis in that series. They absolutely beat the fuck out of him in their first game in los angeles so it's just amazing how different the trajectory of these teams went despite russell westbrook's best effort again he deserves all the love and i hope he gets another opportunity with the clippers next year because he's been an awesome fit for them and just an awesome competitor as a whole for them and i love that he's just in the exact same city but just across the way in the locker rooms and it makes that big of a difference i love that from a player and yeah, I just got to feel bad for the Clippers and I guess good for the Lakers, but it's it it sucks. It sucks. It does suck to see you don't want to see a team's downfall just purely be injury related, you know, bullshit. Now, to finish off today's pod, I'm going to open where's my fucking total draft rankings? Here we go. So, we're going to talk about some sleeper guys that I think could be totally going possibly at the end of the first round more than likely second round and then i'm also going to be talking about some possible day three picks that you guys should totally have on your radar if my google docs will let me open this document that'd be just so rad but i don't think it wants me to let me try this a different way um there we go so let's talk about some guys that can sneak into the end of the first round and i would not be surprised at all so first off we got let's start with I don't really know which direction i want to go with this let's start with keanu benton defensive lineman out of wisconsin this dude is not the best athlete but just an absolute disruptor and just can line him up all over the field he plays with insane strength he plays with insane violence i think he ran like a five flat in the 40s so again you're really not drafting him for athleticism but he's really versatile they would line him up over right over the center sometimes just straight at nose at zero they would line him at two eye. they would line him in the a gap i mean they did a whole lot of shit with this guy and he won in basically every scenario they put him in really really athletic i mean not athletic guy sorry i just said he wasn't an athlete really really quick guy in terms of just his his hands i think he can improve the placement of his hands you know he kind of plays at um with his hands too tight and too close together i think he could widen it up a little bit but i mean they're strong as shit and they're active, they're violent, they're moving a lot, he's never taking you know, a snap off, he's a really, really high motor guy, I like that he has a blend of quickness and power, he doesn't have crazy length, at least he doesn't really look like on tape, I don't really have his measurables in front of me, but he doesn't really like have a solid long arm or anything like that, but just a maniac, just this really high motor guy that can create a lot of interior pressure. And that versatility is gonna be something that defensive coordinators, especially at the end of the first round, I could totally see someone trading back into the first to get him. I wouldn't even be surprised if Kansas City ends up taking him and just pairing him next next to Chris Jones. I don't think they necessarily need him. I think they need like more of a speed rusher. I think if Will McDonald is there, that is the absolute slam dunk pick for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they need someone to replace that Frank Clark role, but as a defensive fit just as like knowing steve spagnuolo's system i could totally see why they would love someone like keanu benton for the versatility and penetration he brings would not be surprised if he sneaks into the end of the first round i think more than likely he's going to be a mid to early second round pick if somehow he ends up dropping to 53 and the bears don't take him, i'm gonna fucking throw a fit i mean he really can do it all he's not even terrible against the run i think he's more of a pass rush specialist from from what i've seen but at 64309 he's got pretty good size and he can do it he really can um and just plays with such good strength he needs to work on his technique a little bit but i think that'll come with time and he's not a very old prospect he's only 21 years old so i think a lot of scouts are gonna like that sorry if you heard that motorcycle just go by but yeah really like keanu benton would not be surprised if he snuck into the end of the first round there Another guy that I think a lot of people talked about, you know, right after the combine and now I'm not hearing his name circulating nearly as much. Aditamiwa Adibare. Um, Hopefully I'm saying that name right. I feel like I mess it up every time, but I think I got it right that time. Uh, Edge Rusher, Rusher, excuse me, out of Northwestern. I think he's better fit as a 3-4 end. Um, But I mean, just off tools alone, he can play basically in any scheme. He's extremely extremely explosive in terms of his first step it showed up in the 40 time uh you do not want to run away from this guy if you he's gonna undercut everything he's gonna fuck up run plays he's too quick he flashes into backfields at time he's not necessarily you know a penetrator when it comes to the run and gonna like sometimes it's even like a bad thing in his tape where he'll penetrate too quickly and then there's a cutback land on him he needs to kind of hold his own and just let like the runner just clog up lanes more and not penetrate as quickly. But I feel like that's a pretty good problem to have if you're having that. Um, that just shows how explosive he is and how good his first step is. And again, scheme versatile. I think you can do a whole lot with him. And I could, again, I could totally see him as a fit in Kansas City there um, because he can do a whole lot. He can uh, rush off the edge and obvious passing downs. He can even play like three tech and kick inside and just. I'd be asked to go after the quarterback and I would totally see that fitting. And then on early downs against the run, you know you can play him more on the edge. He's a bigger guy. He's at I think he's like two hundred and eighty something pounds. Um and he's really fucking explosive so he can stop that efficiently. And again, I think a lot of the flaws in his game are pretty fixable. So someone that just keep an eye on. Definitely should not be slept on. Um some of these next guys are probably not gonna be sneaking in the first round but could be day two, day three picks that I think you should totally keep your eye on. The first is Zach Harrison. Now Zach Harrison, he definitely needs to work on his technique a little bit. Um, There's just not a whole lot to look forward to there in terms of just, he seems to just like contact. Like he just searches out for it and he needs to lower his pad level a little bit. He stands too upright and it's kind of hard for him to do because he's fucking massive. This guy's athletic profile is insane basically six, 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 five and a half, 275 pounds, an 85 inch wingspan, which is 97th percentile. So that gives him 36 and a quarter inch arms. That's 98th percentile, 10 inch hands, huge fucking hands, 25 reps on the bench press, pretty good speed to power conversion. His size and length are both his biggest asset and like his biggest weakness. Cause again, he plays too upright. It doesn't use his leverage. Well, but he just absolutely outmuscles defenders he just moves people back into the quarterback not very bendy again you wouldn't really expect that from someone his frame but decent hand moves and hit fluidity at times he can he can do it he's got a decent chop and rip and those types of moves but still too inconsistent at times and can disappear but just that athletic profile someone of that size some defensive coordinator is going to fall in love with just the pure frame and what you can do with him um, again, one of these guys that I think on obvious running downs, you can throw him out of edge and he's going to give tackles a fit with that length and just not going to be able to get his hands on him. And he uses that violence to just run you backwards. And then on obvious passing downs, I think he can use that power to just speed to power to just drive guards back into the, back into the quarterback. I really think you can land him up at three tech in that way and I think that could be very effective. And I think it's someone that should definitely keep an eye on as a possible second round pick. I think more than likely he ends up a third a 3rd round pick, but definitely really liked his tape there. Another guy that seems to have been kind of getting lost in the mix a little bit is Tuli Tuapalotu, coming out of USC. This is another guy that he's jumped around in weight a lot. He got used in a lot of different ways at USC. They kind of asked him to do a little bit of everything. I believe he came in as an interior guy. They had him lose a little bit of weight and put him out and the exterior, um, exterior, and the, at the edge, I don't know why I said it like that, at the edge, and, um, he was very effective, at getting after the passer, I think he can have some really good versatility at the next level, you're gonna hear this a lot from a lot of these defensive linemen, that's a very common theme, guys like Keon White, guys like Carl Brooks, um, those are Tulito, to, to Polo too, all these guys are pretty much in the same basket, where it's like, Some defensive coordinator is going to fall in love with the motor, the versatility, because all these guys are very similar in terms of like, they're different athletic profiles in terms of Keon White is just this fucking compressed, long-armed guy that's just got a super high motor. Carl Brooks is this guy that's pretty similar in that regard, that he doesn't have nearly the arm length that Keon Brooks has, but he's a fucking... He's an oversized defensive end, but he's kind of a smaller defensive tackle that's not really going to play at three-tech because he's just going to get pushed off of double teams and stuff like that. But for his size profile, he probably shouldn't be that explosive. These guys are all pretty similar in that regard, and someone's going to love that. From a just a pure pass rushing point of view, all these guys can absolutely win at that level, and they're all really, really high-motor guys. Um, I, I think more than likely, Keon White and Tulito... Tua Tui Palotu. I always struggle with that name. I think both of those guys are probably going to end up being Keon White has been talked about getting in the end of the first round. I don't think that's going to happen. I think more than likely he's a second round pick. I'm a lot lower on him than some. I, th- I have him as a third round grade, um, but I think Carl Brooks is totally someone that's going to go in the third round. And again, someone to look out for. Obviously the biggest knock on him and is, le- is his length. He has really short arms for the position and that doesn't really show up on tape though. He played at Bowling Green, so he played against some worst competition. Absolutely dominated there though. Dominated in the Super Bowl as well, or Super Bowl, what the fuck? In the Senior Bowl, showed some really, really good reps against some really good talent there. And again, I just think his versatility and just his pure disruption. I'm not saying he's Kalijah Cansey, but there's definitely similarities in their game there. And I don't think he's being talked enough about anymore. I thought he got a lot of press, you know, when this process started, but the more I get into it, I'm really not hearing his name enough um so as far as other defensive linemen that are worth talking about before i get out of here kobe turner is definitely someone that's you should keep your eye on again played a little bit worse competition at wake forest but my god his fucking he was all over the place for wake forest this past year graded out amazingly over at pff honestly all three years he was there at wake forest but He's he can, another guy that's just got a lot of versatility. You can line him up everywhere. He's a little undersized for a defensive tackle. He's only 290 pounds. So again, kind of has a similar problem to a Carl Brooks and a Kalijah Kansi, but similar to Kalijah. And obviously he's not nearly as highly touted. He wasn't, you know, not producing as big of stats. Only had three sacks this past year, but his hurries and his pressures were most definitely up there. Really, really good at penetrating. His first step is fucking phenomenal one of the best at the interior in this class i loved everything about his game i'm pulling up his profile right now because i'm doing this just purely off the rip but um he's a transfer from richmond so again playing against better competition and showed that he can hang on his own and just flashes into backfield backfields i think one of the things that's really holding him back is his age he is a redshirt senior so he's going to be 24 by the time he's drafted i believe that's right he might be like just about to turn 24 but either way he's just about 24 he'll be 24 by the time training camp starts that's all that matters and um but just amazing first step doesn't have elite length doesn't have elite size so that's going to have him drop a little bit but the explosiveness is absolutely there you see the disruption at times scouts are going to argue that you know nfl guards and tackles are just going to be too i mean more like guards and centers because i think he's going to be playing in the interior i think he's more of a pass rush specialist on passing downs and then again you're probably kicking him farther out like at 4i or that type of technique against running downs i don't think you're gonna ever have him at like five or you know playing six or seven out there like with the tight end if he's aligned on that side i don't think he's ever going to be a true edge like that but man just bringing some really good versatility and can just flash into backfields an instant with that really explosive first step definitely someone to keep an eye on probably going to be going on day three but could contribute as as soon as day one honestly in the nfl um one more guy i want to talk about as far as defensive linemen that i don't think are being talked about enough and could definitely contribute immediately and there's a trend here I've got to admit it. I can't even lie to you guys. I love versatility in my players. And Moro Ojamo is one of these guys that played at Texas this past year, kind of disappeared at times on film. And you want to see a little more consistency in his game. I think he's a little bit of an older prospect. So that's, I mean, sorry, a younger prospect. So that's definitely helping him. He's a redshirt senior, but yeah, he's only 21 years old. And uh, again, a little bit undersized for defensive tackle. Didn't have the best production, but just at times absolutely flashed on tape. Uh, I think that he's being slept on like crazy. Uh, In the NFL.com, they've got him listed going in the fifth or sixth round. I think he's going to be a third round pick at the latest. I don't don't really see why people are are, uh, too low on him. I get that they kind of criticize him for... Having heavy feet and maybe needs to improve on his technique a little bit, but he was a three-year starter for Texas at 21 years old. You know, he was starting for them at 18, and he's just got crazy lower body strength that he's just gonna plow right through a lot of blockers. He's really uses his. I mean, he's just strong. Just strength in general is really his his forte. He doesn't have the best technique. Um, I think that he's got pretty good hands as far as he can kind of like catch block or can not even catch blocks what i'm trying to say like catch punches like he he is a really good ability to just get people off of him as far as like grabbing their elbow and just lifting them up kind of like um what's that technique called he's really good at um forklifting defenders that's what i'm looking for um and i really think that he's got some pretty good counters in that regard that he if you do get the initial hand on him he can just get his hands under you and his pad level and he's just gonna drive right through you at six three he's got pretty good leverage you know he's gonna be uh, a little bit smaller than some of these offensive linemen, which will help him at the next level, and pretty fucking big hands. See, that definitely is something that's notable for defensive linemen. You want big, strong hands out of those guys, and it shows up on tape because he's got fucking strong hands. He's just a really strong player. But again, one of those players that you can line up a lot of uh, all over the place. Ten and a half inch hands. That's definitely worth mentioning. Um, let me pull up his stats on PFF here because I want to see where they lined him up everywhere. Because it felt like they were lining him up. Yeah. So I mean just this past year 252 snaps at the b gap 81 snaps over the tackle 39 outside the tackle and three in the a gap so and graded out just honestly fin just amazingly just pass rush run rate of 17.8 That that is ridiculous run defense rate of 91.4 really really impressive stuff there so definitely someone that i think is being slept on a lot and i don't think should be being talked about in the 5th or 6th round. I think this guy is a legit 3rd round pick and if someone ends up getting him later than that they're getting a the steal out of Moro Ojamo. Now, before I get out of here I just want to talk about a few more guys. One of the guys is Trenton Simpson. Again, I don't have his stats up in front of me or anything like that but got to watching his film pretty recently here. I was pretty late on him but I've been hearing a lot more about his name recently. Um, I think it was Connor Rogers of PFF or it might have been uh the other host there on the uh mock or on the um what's that fucking podcast called the stock market one um pff stock exchange that's what it's called uh they do a really good job over there if you don't follow that shout out to them because i fucking they do great trevor sycamore that's the other guy's name there we go um i don't remember which one of them said it but i think trenton simpson could kind of be struggling from some of the same things that uh Isaiah Simmons, I forgot his name for a second, that Isaiah Simmons might struggle with in the NFL level where I don't know if defensive coordinators are going to know exactly how to use him because he kind of did it all for Clemson. He was never really doing the traditional linebacker things. He was never really dropping back in zone and reading the eyes of a quarterback and tracking receivers like that. That really wasn't his game. And when he was asked to do that, he wasn't particularly good at it. Now, it could be one of those questions which came first, the chicken or the egg, is he not good at it because they're never asking him to do it, or is he just genuinely not good at good at it and they're just hiding his weaknesses. But when they let him play in space, even man to man, when you just put a man to man against some of these tight ends and some of these running backs out of the backfield, he's got the athleticism to mirror them, keep up with them, and can really play sticky coverage. It's just zone, he kind of lacks some of those instincts. So what he's really best at he reminds me a lot of devin white he's i don't think he's quite as dense as devin white he's not you know going to be the hardest hitter like that but this guy is a freak athlete with pretty long arms and he's when you just set him in space whether it be as a quarterback spy or as a free blitzer on a delayed delayed blitz something like that he's going to pop on film he is really 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 explosive really fast i love watching linebackers like this that can just fly sideline to sideline he needs to be a little more disciplined in the run game, as far as just not engaging blocks as quickly, because he can't exactly shed him. He can at times. He showed it off the edge, especially, but that's more like that's not really like shedding. That's more just first step and explosion and just beating a guy to an angle. Um, so he needs to be a little more disciplined in that way. But I mean, I really do think in the right system, especially a pretty heavy man system that's got a lot of blitzing in it, something like the Ravens type of system, like. Like, honestly, if the Giants take him at 25, do not be surprised at all. I think that would be an excellent fit for what they're looking for. Um, And as far as what Wink Markendale's trying to do there, the very heavy man, very heavy blitz scheme, um, I think Trent Simpson could be a phenomenal fit there. They could probably end up getting him in the second round and not, you know, need to spend the 25th overall pick on him. But as a prospect and as an athlete, this guy has a lot of really, really good tools that I think a lot of... NFL defensive coordinators are going to fall in love with, and again, I don't think he's being talked about enough with some of these other guys. And I definitely slept on him. I mean, going through this process, really, the only linebacker that was on my mind, or, I mean, there were two of them, but it was really Dayon Henley coming out of Washington State. Who, honestly, I didn't really love watching his film. I wasn't too impressed. I mean, I think he was fine. Uh, maybe I need to go back and watch a little more of it. And Jack Campbell, who Jack Campbell, someone actually really impressed me at the combine and definitely separates himself from a lot of these other guys just purely based off of his profile i mean 65 265 or whatever he is or 245 whatever he is that's there's just no other linebacker in this class that's built like this but trenton Simpson, honestly probably going to end up being my linebacker one when it's all said and done because i just love the tools i love the speed and i think where today's modern nfl is going and how fast it's gone and how pass heavy it's gone he's going to be a great addition to an nfl team and that's it that's all i got that's all the notes i have for you guys i hope you enjoyed today's episode this ended up being a lot longer than i thought it was going to be but if you did enjoy be sure to follow me here at murphy's league be sure to go follow my instagram over at murphy's league i appreciate each and every single one of y'all and i'm very excited to see this nfl draft so make sure to follow me over there for constant updates appreciate y'all and peace out